Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Nile or Nine podcast. It is myself, Nile, and Andrea Cleary. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Nile. How are we? We're good. We're recording this on a miserable Thursday morning. Miserable uh, Thursday it's morning. It's miserable. It's, yes, uh, it's dark and bleak. Um, much like the topic we're going to discuss here today. <laughs> yes. Um, There's no hope. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think. I wrote something uh, earlier this week on the website uh, about a thing that's been going on with, tur- with regards to merch and touring. And I thought it'd be nice to just um, shine a light a bit more on that situation and what's going on. And maybe, you know, it's not just artists who um, this affect, it's it's fans as well, because, you know, we're talking about essentially um, merchant selling merchandise at venues and festivals and the increasingly common, common practice in the last four or five years um, of venues flash charging a uh, 25% commission or, well, around 25% commission. 25 seems to be the kind of standard. Um, I, on the merch sales that any artist support or headline uh, sells at a uh, venue. So there's a number of things I want to get into about this because it's, um, I think it's interesting and it's one that, you know, people who like us who go to a lot of live gigs should be aware of and also aware of like the intricacies of it basically back in january the featured artist coalition uh, in the uk announced a new directory highlighting venues that charge zero commission on the sale of merch and uh, just recently it revealed that 400 live music venues had signed up to that charter essentially saying that they won't they don't take a, a cut of the merchandise so if you go to a venue like Whelan's in Dublin or um, Cypress Avenue in Cork I know there's two examples of venues who do not take a cut of merchandise for the artists so if you're looking at essentially what's been happening now is that as we've discussed here and there a lot of acts who are touring again post-COVID have been hit with a number of issues. There's inflation, cost of living, um, Brexit, um, COVID (laughs) being an issue, um, like getting it and not being able to tour, cancellation dates, uh, travel, transport, all of those costs have essentially gone up. And uh, the only thing that hasn't gone up is really the fees. And if anything, sometimes they've actually gone down. So when an artist decides they want to go on a tour, especially now we're talking small to medium um, artists, because like I was in the three arena recently, as we discussed for uh, Kendrick Lamar and Kendrick Lamar was selling a lot of merchandise for like 35, 40 uh, quid, maybe a hoodie for like 80, I think it was. Now, those are the prices you expect when you have a big artist, a big, big artist who comes into an arena. Now, the logistics of selling that, that merchandise involves 
uh, probably a company uh, specifically who come in on the day, which I know people uh, who have worked for them before, um, who come in and basically sell the merchandise on behalf of the artist. The, the artist bring, ships the merch uh, to and from the venues and looks after that uh, part and it is handled by the merch partner in the local area and uh, in that venue. And I'm not 100% sure how that, uh, what the percentage is or how that works or if it's a flat fee or whatever, but I think it is probably a percentage. Um, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. But, that's, but that's those are kind of the... Because there's there's labor going into that. So that's like, yeah, yeah those people need to get paid. Absolutely. So enough. yeah, and in some venues, like I think the Olympia do it, um, where they will have a person or a couple of people who will sell your merch for you, but they uh, will charge you a commission as well. So that's an okay. example of what we're talking about here. Do you have the option in a place like the Olympia to? It's not. You can't have, have the option. You own? have to use the same person. You have to use their okay. suppliers or their uh, staff, essentially. Um, mm, which okay. means that that is one of the reasons why recently, say, uh, Peter Hook uh, was playing the Olympia, who's who's a big proponent of this um, directory as well, and and been very uh, supportive of it, saying the worst venue, the worst example of this is a venue who charges twenty five percent. And does nothing for it. And that is mm-hmm. the crux of what we're talking about here. The yeah. main thing. It is it can be very difficult. I mean, once you get to a bigger venue, um, you get a like a set of rules of how it works. Sometimes you're not told till you get there on the day. Um obviously they charge VAT on sales as well. So that's uh what you're talking about here is eating into the artist's income because merch is one of the big drivers of how artists can make money these days. Here's an example actually from um Kieran Smith on Instagram, um, who responded to my um, uh, Instagram post this week. Uh, a lot of venues, once you get to a particular set size, will set the rules for selling the merch in the venue. A uh, venue will say, if you want to sell merch in this building, it must be sold by either the venue directly or an agency. That way they know how much has been sold and will take their cut. They have to charge VAT on sales, so they charge a fee, say 25% of the income, but also charge VAT. Many small arts won't reach the threshold for paying VAT, um, so they are already adding that on. A t-shirt sold for 30 Quid, for example, is split VAT 561, commission 25%, 610. So ours will get 18.29 of a 30 euro sale. Any cost they have to come from that, uh, let's say a t shirt costs 8 quid, band makes 10 quid per sale. So uh, on a 30 quid t shirt, the average support would be lucky to sell a handful of tees, but they already get a tiny fee for the gig. So they need every penny they can get to try and come close to break even on costs. And they can forget about trying to pay themselves. So later on the show, we're going to talk to uh, Cadence Weapon, who um, is one of the main people spearheading the Canadian and North American branch of this uh, directory. Uh, it's called My Merch, and he's asking venues to sign up their char- uh, to this charter, saying that they don't take commission on merchandise. And it's 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 become maybe it was a a thing that was glossed over previously because there was money in the industry. I honestly, until until this was mentioned, I'd say about maybe eight or nine months ago on on Twitter, somebody in in, in a tweet, and the tweet wasn't huge or anything. It was just some, somebody who I follow with like a few hundred followers said something like, "Oh yeah, but um, uh, I I, I wish people knew that venues take like twenty five percent of the merch sales." And I was like, "What? They they do." I, it just never, I always assumed that all of the money that I was giving to buy a t-shirt or a tote bag or a tea towel, whatever it is I'm buying, that it was going directly to the artist because that's the point of merch. That's why merch exists so that you can support the artist. And like, look, with, with, with something like, you know, I don't, I don't like venues who, who are like, oh, you have to use our person to 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 sell the merch but i also appreciate that there that there is labor coming from that person and that person needs to get paid but that that person the the actual person who's putting in the 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 labor of selling those t-shirts they're not getting the 25% that the venue's no. getting like they're, the, the the venue aren't saying oh that's passing straight over into into your hands they're just getting paid a wage um so like it it's not it just doesn't really compute for me it doesn't you know like if if this is the case then should the band get a percentage of the sales from the bar since we're all i mean in that's it together, the argument right you know? isn't it like well you're Absolutely. selling your thing so uh we're selling uh drink on you so i mean that's kind of like tit for tat but like 
I have mm. to ask though, have you ever bought a tea towel at a merch stand? I need to know. No, I near I nearly bought a tea towel. It was a Sorka Richardson was selling a lovely <laughs> tea towel. And um I didn't buy it because um I live with a man and I don't think he'd he he wouldn't understand He doesn't appreciate tea he, towels? Well, well, no, he already doesn't understand that there's a difference between the nice tea towels and the tea towels that we use for tea toweling. So I was like, no, that's too risky. So I bought a tote bag instead. Okay, you just need to get him some help. <laughs> but it's it, all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like you've got the nice tea towels that hang on the yeah, yeah. on the oven door. Listen. And you don't use them. Yeah. <laughs> but he does. <laughs> Generally not as absorbent as those ones either, are they? No, 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 no. No, no. so yeah, I, I, I could just envision him mopping up some pasta sauce that he'd spilled yeah. with my Zorka Richardson tea towel and I'd be very upset. So went yeah. for the tote bag. What instead, is the best bit of merch you've ever bought at a, at a, at a, at a mm. merch stand? I don't know. I've, I've never bought that in very strange. I do tend to just go with t-shirts and tote bags. Um, yeah, I bought some ABBA socks. At the Abba oh, nice! Thing. A set That's of four. I wear them all the time. <laughs> Is there like one one Abba on each sock? No, there's just different colors. Swap them. Just different colors. Oh, okay. Yeah, just different bright yeah. colors. That's all. One yeah. No, I, I I would love to see more sale of like mugs. I really feel like mugs w- would be something that I mm, would yeah. enjoy buying because um, I like mugs. Well, we did actually a good quality buy... mug. Lumo had a field trip to see Phil Collins and we all bought mugs and then promptly mm. uh, left them in a venue we were DJing uh, in the week later and <laughs> never got them back. Oh no. Yeah, I suppose so, if, if you're selling mugs at a venue, you'd and, have to uh, only sell them after too. the show yeah. um, because you can't be giving people mugs and then sending them into a venue. That's fair enough. Into but, the mosh. Yeah. 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 <laughs> or just like little, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. No, 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 no strange merch. Just mostly just yeah. t-shirts. You've um, uh, got a really nice pavement t-shirt recently. Oh, good. So yeah, this, so back to this featured artist coalition uh, directory. So um, it, you know, one of the t- reasons that it came up really is because obviously since things have come back, it's been very difficult for artists and, um, and even like I've noticed, you know, anecdotally being offered fees to DJ for less than what I would have been getting before. And like after two years of doing nothing, you're like, well, is it worth my while doing this? It doesn't really seem to be. Um, and I'm sure artists are doing the same, especially when a sport a support act, if you're a support act, you typically get hundred quid. You, I mean, if you're lucky uh, in the UK, sometimes it's 50 quid. So and like, is that I mean, like split between the bands, hundred quid for the whole band? Yeah, of course. Yeah, like it's for everything. So you're not making yeah. any money. I think the idea is like, you know, we can do this because there's loads of other people that want to, would do it otherwise. Mm. But also, you know, you're doing this because you want to be on this bill. Yeah, but that's that's uh, that's getting into working for exposure territory, which we don't like. Oh, yeah, no, it, it absolutely it is with all, all but name, with yeah. all but name. And, you know, um, so later on, we'll talk to Roly Pemberton, a.k.a. Cadence uh, Weapon, the Canadian rapper, and about um, his recent tour. He's been sharing a lot of uh, really interesting thoughts on his mm. substack of late and um, probably the last year and a half or so. And one of those things he talked about recently was just kind of how difficult it was to tour at the moment. We do talk about it a bit as well. So I'll, I'll share a bit more later about the specifics about what he's talking about. But first of all, just to talk about what is actually happening with this um, merch thing is I'm seeing it a lot more and more and more. So, um, and it's a lot to do with the young and up and coming uh, small to medium sized independent mm. artists. But here's the, here's the thing, right? So I remember, remember we talked about dry cleaning earlier this year or the year before, um, setting up a pop-up shop outside uh, near the venue they were playing in because they didn't want to pay this uh, merchandise uh, yeah. commission, which is absolutely fair. So now we've now seen in the last couple of weeks even, um, uh, other acts doing that recently. The Big Moon recently did it in Kentish Town Forum where they were playing up near there. They will not be selling merch at their, this was in September, they instead hosted a pop-up store uh, nearby the venue they were playing in, which is the O2 Kentish Town Forum. So a lot of these venues are owned by uh, the bigger uh, mm. promoters and uh, they have set those rules. And uh, the big moon said the Kentish Town Forum, like many other O2 venues, uh, take uh, 25% plus VAT on every sale we make. It's basically all of our profit on the merch. These are a choice of either not making any profit or increasing prices and charging you guys more. Neither feels fair. Now, I guess when you come to the arena shows, something like the Kendrick Lamar prices, that's where that gulf comes from. That's where that extra, you're like, oh, things are way more expensive here. 
it's not just because it's in a bigger venue. It's because people are charging more along the line and the artist is passing mm-hmm. that along to you. So you have to ask, is that fair enough that you are being charged? I'm sure that? Kendrick Lamar's label have profit as as their bottom line more than like a, an indie band who Kendrick Lamar's label want to make a profit on like a, a decent profit on stuff that they know people are going to buy. Well, I presume he's I mean, he it would only it wouldn't be his label. It would be his um, his own like unless I don't think he signed a 360 uh, okay. deal. Otherwise, they that's when the label would be taking okay. the money. At the moment, it would probably would be just going directly. And just explain to, to the listeners what a three sixty deal is, because I didn't know it until about five minutes ago when you told me. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so later on, we'll talk to Rolie uh, Caden's weapon about a three sixty deal. That is when you an artist assigns a deal with a label who essentially take a part of every a percentage of every bit of income that they make. That includes live performances, publishing syncs, uh, merch sales, endorsements, and any other entertainment income. So not just the recording, a, a decent deal these days. A label would either give me some money up front to pay for a uh, the recording and the promotion mm-hmm. of a record in return for 50% of the master recording. Every recording, every song that's out there is made up of half master and half mm-hmm. publishing. Publishing is where the songwriter owns what they wrote, the actual... The, the Taylor Swift uh, issue, that's why t- why Taylor Swift was able to yeah, re-record exactly. her music. So that's why Taylor yeah. Swift is re-recording mm. all her music, because she knows no, no longer owns the masters for those recordings. Mm. And in order to devalue what's going on uh, with the original recordings that she recorded that she no longer owns, she's recorded new versions. Because she owns the, market, the publishing to, rights. Yeah. Yeah, because she owns the publishing. She can do whatever she wants with that. But in a 360 deal, and certainly the worst ones, they would actually take a percentage of your publishing as well. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So later on, I mean, that's why it was became, I think it was kind of, it started around after Napster, around the Napster time when people were like, when all of a sudden the racketeer uh, industry that was the CD and uh, profit making world of, of CDs and uh, physical sales were, were suddenly dwindling and people were like, we need to do something about it. And so it was basically reaching into the artist's pockets and taking more of a percent from those artists directly. So um, this is about 12 years ago now. Uh, Roly does talk about this, but I didn't. he didn't talk about the specifics of it, really. There's a great piece on his Substack, cadenceweapon.substack.com. Um, so he said he's trying to 360 deal and he learned the hard way when he was younger. Uh, I signed a management contract with the with this uh, label as well, where they received twenty percent as well. So this is a three hundred and sixty. They did everything. I signed a publishing contract where they received fifty percent of my publishing revenue forever. They currently still get money from my first three albums quarterly. I signed a record contract where they own the masters, and I only start seeing income when I recoup the expenses for the albums. So essentially, the label never counted me once over the first twelve years of my career. So I never had any idea when things would balance out and I start to see some money. This hypothetical debt became an albatross around my neck. By my count, I had sent them two hundred and fifty grand uh, over the years, and they'd gotten grants on top of that. Jesus! My ex-girlfriend connected me to a music lawyer she knew, who linked me with a litigation lawyer who helped me move on from the contracts. This whole situation is why I didn't release an album for six years. So yeah, and he talks about having to build up his career again, which he's successfully done. He last year he won the Polaris Music Prize in Canada, the Canadian uh, album of the year for his album Parallel World. So. Obviously, things were going pretty well. After that, he's been able to build himself up again. But I just think, you know, he has some advice later on for people who might be facing that kind of deal. Um, but it is really terrible, a terrible situation to be in. But, you know, I mean, this merch issue is one part of that because it's it's basically exploitation. And exploitation is a word that's used a lot in publishing in sync in this, like, real um, granular fashion. It's like, it's a, it's a technical term mm. almost, but... I mean, we're talking about traditional exploitation of an artist here, and that's what this merch stuff. Seems and it to be, it, feels it passes on as well artists. too. I mean, if 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 you're an artist who isn't gonna be making any money um, or very very little profit on your merch, then it's more likely for you to improve that bottom line to to go to places with cheap labor to make your merch as well. So it passes on to that as well, like. Um, a, a lot of Irish artists I've seen are committed to sustainable um, merch and, you know, like good, good quality, like re- recycled stuff or making sure that the people who make the clothes. Like this great quality other voices. Beautiful, you know, like other voices are fantastic for that. But if you're trying to, you know, cut and uh, 
any and all costs that you can going for cheap labor labor or what is essentially slave labor when it comes to the people who are actually making your merch is something that artists will be kind of forced into making the decision to do um so it's mm. it, it's an even broader issue than just you know the labor of the artists and the labor of um of you know what, what what goes into actually getting the merch there and the labor of selling the merch as well it's just it's it's like anything you know if you've got exploitation in one part of the of the production line then it's it's going to spread yeah. out and poison the rest of it as well so that's that's also something you know to consider that if if you're buying merch from an artist who is committed to you know having good values in terms of who's making that merch then it's very likely that they're not making as much of a profit as somebody else who doesn't care, do you know? So support those artists, support those festivals. Yeah, Yeah. and I mean, like I mentioned, acts are finding it hard to stay on the road, which is how Yardak Mm. put it recently. They they run a a pop-up shop in Leeds at the O2 Academy because they take uh, cuts of merch as well. And they said, we want to highlight the issue that certain venues are taking big cuts of income that is pretty necessary to keep arts on the road. Items will be approximately 25% cheaper than at the venue due to the Academy taking 25% cut of all merch sold. Um, so fair play to them for doing that. And um, so that's one of the things. Um, but the other thing there is like, I haven't seen mentioned is that vinyl uh, pressing has had such a backlog because of actually people like Taylor Swift who were printing huge amounts of records. <laughs> Therefore, four, affecting four of them, inter- four different kinds. Don't get me started on Taylor Swift's vinyl <laughs> yeah, 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 cash yeah. grab this year. Yeah, but it does have a real world effect yeah, on every other artist because it was okay, the same with Adele. Example. I went to see the Mary Wallopers well. last week. I went to see the Mary Wallopers last week. Mm. They're brilliant. Um, it was uh, in the National Stadium. I wanted to buy a record. Their records weren't there. Going to be ready till January, presumably because there's a, such a backlog on pressing plants, meaning that they lose out on March on that night where they could have sold a couple of hundred records even, maybe. You know what I mean? So, like, their big Dublin headline show, they could have uh, sold more, um, a lot more than they had. I bought a T-shirt in the end. Um, it, but it's really just that kind of knock-on effect of what happens when big business gets into every pocket of an artist and starts to take bits and bits. And then the knock-on effect of, Oh, well, Taylor Swift wants uh, four different versions of this new album. We'll prioritize that because we know people are going to buy it. Therefore, knocking somebody else out um, who wants to print up something and has to wait another four and then months there's, in order there's, to do it. And there's an the over-reliance for record shops on selling those uh, those LPs from Taylor Swift as well. Yeah. And it's got so big now that even Jack Antonoff himself was talking about this merch stuff last week. You know? I mean, his He produced producer, Taylor Swift's... Oh, records like <laughs> I know I know so it's mad so uh, I mean I don't know if he's quite seen the duality there but uh, he said he, he's urged venues to stop taxing and by top taxing he's taking merch uh, cuts uh, commissions on sale so he's saying it's literally the only way to make money when you start out touring uh, on Twitter he said uh, while we were having the discussion can venues still simply stop taxing merch of artists the more we make it tenable for young artists and small artists to make a living on the road the more great music we will get touring is one of those most uh, one of the most honest ways to make a living some of the hardest and most, most heartfelt work you can do so why must venues fuck artists so hard he then offered what he considered simple solutions stop taxing merch stop lying to artists about costs of putting on shows and include artists in more areas of revenue Antonov added the stories I could tell from my years touring are bananas Young artists on tour are the last to see any money. And then he finished, if these are my last tweets, I'm cool with that. Like some sort of music industry mafioso, we're going to come and like yeah, take but them then, out. But then <laughs> like, he followed that with, okay, one more, Kanye, a little bitty little bitch. <laughs> so <laughs> I was kind of yeah, hoping that would be okay. his last tweet. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, he's, he's obviously right to call that out, but he's also majorly involved with a lot of the artists it's you you're it's the problem you, it's you're you you're the problem it's you, it's you. <laughs> but he is he's he's involved with so many of these artists and like i know that like i i i'm friends with somebody who works for a a, a major label and, and she was explaining that the um that taylor swift's records you know being sold in in uh record stores are probably the reason why a lot of record stores are going to be able to stay open over Christmas. Um, yeah. Okay, and, yeah. you know, that's not, she's not doing that out of the goodness of her heart is the, is the thing though. Do you know what I mean? She's, she's, she's putting out four albums of the same 
content with different pictures on them to yeah. make a load of money um and it and it drives the cost up for smaller bands or artists who want to pre- like god forbid press their music in like a physical format so like yeah i don't yeah. know jack antonoff well well done but I mean, also I guess the other you thing know is that, yeah, yeah like you said you're the problem it's you i mean also yeah but like we need more vinyl pressing bands and there is now Dublin yeah. Vinyl here in Ireland who are printing directly, which is great. But like, obviously this, you know, it's it's because of the desire for vinyl, there's still not enough. And, and when, when somebody like Taylor Swift comes, swoops in and gets front mm-hmm. of the line to, in order to press, everyone yeah. else has to wait, you know what I mean? That's a lot of what happened. So we're going to talk to uh, Roly Pemberton now. And as I said, Roly Pemberton is Canadian rapper Cadence Weapon. And um, he was started this My March, um, this US campaign uh, uh, to keep menus 100% uh, away from merchandise. So they uh, asking venues to pledge, uh, like in the UK, to, now, uh, to uh, not take commissions and to publicly share their uh, associates. This is a... Um, Probably should share that they're not doing that. This is in association with the Featured Arts Coalition and the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers. Um, the other thing that uh, Roly talks about later on is uh, um, he's part of he's the, one of the Atkinson artists. So he's the first one, basically. So it's about decent working conditions for artists and others. So he's a part of that campaign as well. So um, I like what Roly's been doing. I met him maybe 10 years ago in Dublin. He, he rapped on a, a track with Super Extra Bonus Party. They met at a gig in Tripod, RIP, years ago. And uh, Tripod? So, be keeping an eye on them Don't you mean? Yeah, yeah. Pret-a-Manger? Isn't that where the Pret-a-Manger is going? <laughs> it is now. So fucking depressing. <laughs> yeah, so that's, um, that's how I know him. And last year he released uh, Parallel World, the... Um, Polaris choice, uh, Polaris Prize, Music Prize winning album for uh, Canadian album of the year. He was he has been a poet laureate for his hometown of Edmonton. He now lives in Hamilton, uh, near Toronto. Because we didn't talk about it here, I'm going to just talk a little bit about uh, his the tour that he that prompted me to get in touch with him. One of the things that he talked about recently was going on tour last year. He did a 12 date US tour. He says a three week journey can cost anywhere between 60 grand and 100 grand. And most of us hope to simply break even and gain a few new fans along the way. So a 12 day US tour, uh, I think it was maybe a support role or a small tour in which he did everything. He decided not to bring crew or a DJ or anyone like our producer or anyone else with him. He did everything. He sold the merch. He did it solo without crew, tour managed all the dates, did press, paid for transport, drove himself, food and, and travel, uh, social media marketing and PCR tests at the time because he needed one to get in and out of Canada. He's, he said the expenses for to- a total were over $21,000 and after the booking agent 10% and a 7K tour support that he got from Canadian government, he still made a loss of over $2,000. He's just an example. And he says, you know, he doesn't regret doing the tour, but he's just saying that's the reality of it now. If people think that, you know, you're doing 12 dates, you're going to make huge loads of money. You're not because it's gotten worse because of the inflation cost of living over here. We have issues with Brexit, especially with Irish bands trying to go over with equipment. No one really knows. There's a carnet system that we don't quite, no one really kind of understands and everyone has uh, conflicting opinions of. Um, bands like Gilla Band were really talking about this, uh, where essentially you have to put a percentage of the value of the equipment that you're bringing into uh this carnet system so it's like it's like putting a deposit down on your tour and as they said um you actually won't get that money back because you never really stopped touring so therefore you just tied this money up into this that's not how deposits work (laughs) yeah well i mean if you you get it back when you stop touring but when do you stop touring when you're a touring band Never. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so you might get it back temporarily, but you still have to give it again if you try and yeah. go again. Do you know what I mean? So God, it's such it's a mess. ridiculous. So that's just Jesus. kind of highlights all the things that are happening. And uh, so we're going to talk to Roly now, um, uh, Kate's weapon about all of the issues and merch stuff and uh, touring and what it's like for an artist in Canada at the moment. Uh, I would love to talk to an Irish artist about this soon. And Yeah, uh, get in really touch if, you, talk, if you're next... mad about this and you want to talk to us about it. Yeah, I mean, I think the real world numbers is something I really want to hear from somebody who's doing this kind of stuff and uh, really just sharing. You know, I think we need more of that. We need more so people understand exactly what it is that small to medium bands who are trying to either make it or who are already in a, like a band like Gilliband who are uh, 
you know, doing well mm. and uh, or unvisibly doing well and how difficult it actually is because it is not easy. <laughs> so let's uh, let's start to roll into weapon now. Got cash on me, credit card, got scans on me, got bands on me, tax man, got plans on me, started tracking me, face ID on me, white programmer, so they don't see it's me. Got fans on me, IG story, know where I be. All geotag, got brands on me, got ads on me, not asking me, but they're still on me. Got scams on me, look at me, I never get lonely. Know where I'm at, don't even phone me. When I'm home, I know they see, do it all voluntarily. Huh? On me, on me, everything on me, on me. A lot of these things are off key. Children in my yard again when I watch me. I step out the CCTV clocks me. On the all that man shots keys. Rolly, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Nice to see you. Um, last time I saw you, when was, oh, God, I don't know. Was it a long time ago? 10 years ago, it, it, maybe? It would have been probably like 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Um, okay, good. Well, we're, you're still at it. You're still at it. And you've been doing really well the last number of years, uh, which has been lovely to see. Obviously, you won the Polaris Music Prize last year and uh, you have a book out at the moment, uh, a memoir called Bedroom uh, Rapper. And you've been doing loads of interesting things, Poet Laureate, um, a few other bits and pieces. And one of the things you did recently is uh, bring up this uh, merch commission issue. And I want to ask you, when did you seriously start thinking about this? This is something that you've done in conjunction with the Featured Artists Coalition and the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers. Uh, uh, based off, did, did it come from the UK? Yeah, yeah. I was originally inspired by uh, FAC what they were doing. I mean, it's definitely something that's been on my mind for a while, but the idea of putting together a campaign was definitely inspired. Yeah. You had a, you had an article in, uh, Toronto life about your, um, well, your, your own situation in terms of touring in Canada last year. And at the end of the article, you do mention like one of the things that could be, you know, uh, a thing that we could look at is reducing those merch commissions that happen. So you can just talk to me and tell like the listeners, right. So basically, I guess a lot of people don't really understand. So can we go through the little different configurations of what that means? Because some of the big, large venues, right, have, like the big arenas, have their own merch stands and, and staff and all that stuff. So for someone like yourself, someone, most people that we talk about here are small to medium kind of artists. What are their options when they're bringing, when they're going on tour and what they have their options in terms of merch? Well, okay, I'll, I'll give you the situation here. Typically... For somebody like me, you know, I'm, you know, in control of manufacturing my merch, um, getting it designed and shipping it from place to place. Uh, and typically that'll involve me physically bringing the merch, you know, whether it's a flight or driving to the place. Right. And then when I get to the venue, I will typically sell my own merch, uh, you know, or, you know, occasionally if uh, the venue has somebody that sells merch, I'll pay them to sell the merch. But uh, one of the things that happens at a lot of venues is they'll say, whether it's in the contract or sometimes they'll just surprise you the day of the show and be like, you know, we need 15 to 35% of your merch sales. You know, that includes records, CDs, and shirts. So it's not like you are paying somebody uh, $150 or $100, whatever, to man the merch stand. It's like they are taking a cut regardless, but you are still selling that merch on that in yes. that situation. So I think that's probably what may, maybe people don't realize because some of the larger venues, you know, will have staff and maybe they take a commission on something or if you want them to, you can opt in. But I think where the problem is, is, is that it's mandatory a lot of the time when if you want to sell merch, you have to pay them 25%. Yeah. And the other thing is um, those bigger venues won't let you, you know, most acts, they have their own merch people. They have their own, you know, um, front of house staff, that kind of thing. But they won't let you um, use your own people. They'll yeah. be like, you're going to use our people and you're also going to take, we're going to take a cut. Yeah. So, I mean, in the context of what's been happening in the last couple of years, especially and how difficult it's been, like it's part of a wider issue for touring acts at the moment, which is, you know, Issues like inflation, cost of living, uh, Brexit over here certainly is a big issue. Digital revenues and mental health. There's a lot of things that are uh, COVID, obviously. You know, you talked about that in your article about how, you know, the the impact and the costs of that kind of thing. And I guess, like, where how do you feel about it now? You, you're talking about, like, that merch idea. Where did that come from, first of all, as, as something that you actually focused on in order to establish something and try and make a change? 
Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, when I wrote the piece uh, for Toronto Life, I was just trying to illustrate, you know, what it's like for artists today in like this era of COVID. You know, when when the pandemic first started, you know, we didn't have an opportunity to play any shows for you know a year and a half. Then when we get back into it, everything has changed. It's become this situation where it's you know the expenses for things like gas or you know uh, the rental van, the tour bus. You know, for hiring other musicians, hiring a tour manager, having a lighting person, you know, flights, hotels, all that stuff. The prices for that have all skyrocketed mm -hmm. since the pandemic. And then on top of that, you, you know, you have inflation. It's just the expenses keep going up, but our fees are all the same yeah, as they were before. Yeah. And, then, you know? and, and in and some that, cases, they're even less. <laughs> and yeah, in some cases, they're even less. So that was one of my, you know, one of the things I was thinking, you know, with this, this merch cut thing, because I noticed this. This summer, I played a bunch of festivals in Canada. It was the first time coming back. And I noticed that pretty much every festival, you know, they're taking 25% of my merch. But, you know, the funny thing is they, you know, they have volunteers selling it. Yeah. You know, those people aren't getting any of the money. Mm. And then also these festivals are getting grants that help them run. Um, so why are they taking the money out of me, the artist? Why is it coming from me? Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that we've seen a lot uh, in the last uh, six months, especially since, well, really since uh, start of the year, late last year, uh, bands like Dry Cleaning and uh, even Jack Antonoff has been talking about it. Um, Yard Act most recently, The Big Moon as well. A lot of these acts, what they're doing is they're setting up outside of the venue or in a pop-up shop or in a in a bar nearby just in order to circumvent those things. But it also highlights the issue that's that's happening. So obviously the UK one has been quite successful. There's been 400 venues or so. Um, so what has your reaction been so far? I know it's only been a few days or whatever since you announced this. It's been pretty good, actually. Um, I'm, I'm pretty impressed already. You know, we're, we, we've got dozens of uh, venues so far. You know, almost 60 venues have signed up and it's been 72 hours or something. You know, uh, including some like really notable venues like elsewhere in New York, um, Thalia Hall in Chicago, bottom of the hill in San Francisco, you know, it's, it's, you know, I feel like this is just a really good resource for bands and also fans to know the venues that are working with the artist's best interest in mind. Mm. So in a, in a, in some of the larger venues and arenas where this is happening, most people are probably just adding that 25% in as an extra cost that passes on to the fan, right? That's what I'd imagine yeah. is happening. Where, like, obviously, independent artists don't really want to be doing that. They want to be charging like exorbitant price. I know, I was at Kendrick Lamar last week, and he charged me mm -hmm. forty quid for a bucket hat. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. you're like, no one wants to be doing uh, charging those prices. Um, so it's either that, add more, add an extra um, to the cost uh, to encourage that, or just make people aware of that. So that seems to be the thing, right? That's my thing is like, I hate doing that. I hate having the, you know, uh, pass on the cost to the fan, you know, like I'd rather, I would let, rather lose money than do that usually. Yeah. Um, but that's the situation we're put in. And the thing is fans don't know that fans don't know, you know, that we have to give 25% to the venue. So we have to raise prices. They don't know that yeah. they, they wonder why shirts cost so much. They wonder why the ticket price is so high. What are these fees and stuff? Well, the fees have nothing to do with me. Mm, yeah right so you reckon that you know what's been going on at the moment and all of these combination of factors could reduce the number of small to mid-sized like as you call it get in the van uh, music tours is that yeah, how you feel yeah now? definitely that's how i feel i mean it, it just feels more and more untenable to you know psych yourself up to go play all these you know all the, a bunch of small towns driving around because it's so unpredictable now. It used mm -hmm. to be like, okay, you know, you get X amount of presale. People aren't buying presale tickets anymore. And if they yeah. are half the time, they're not showing up for the show. So you could have like a sold out show and like, you know, 30% of the people don't show up, you know, yeah. for whatever reason. And that presale issue obviously has a knock-on effect in terms of okay there's people who are looking at those ticket sales and going well this isn't selling um we should cancel it which i see yeah. a lot of over here especially with north american uh touring acts especially i've seen a lot of cancelled gigs quietly cancelled mm -hmm. and maybe for that reason as well you know 
they only sell on the week or the days leading up to it. Um, and we're talking, I guess, you know, acts that have been able to do this before. You mentioned Animal Collective. Previously, they cancelled their Irish gig because they couldn't, uh, and their European tour because they couldn't afford to do it at the moment. And I think, like, you've, talking, you've talked a lot about, you know, you know, the other impacts of that. So, like, the mental as well, and as well as financial. Like, so... How do you feel about it at the moment? Like, I mean, like, are you looking to go back on tour again or like, are you just not going to do it for a while? I mean, it really, it only makes sense if you have a new record out now, you know, yeah. like I'm not going to go just play some random shows for no reason anymore. It's got to be, you know, really um, thoughtful reason for going. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's going to be something you're going to see a lot in the future is more um, festival focus. You know, I mean, this year I played, you know, a handful of festivals that, you know, combined, you know, it paid me more than like a few years of doing full tours. Mm, yeah. You know, so the, the, the rationale behind, okay, I need to go play in like Idaho on the way to like Phoenix or whatever. It's just, it doesn't feel worth it as much anymore. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, um, I guess, you know, festivals just become the, the main buzz anyway, summer-wise anyway, for sure. Uh, but generally speaking, it kind of dominates the conversation and it brings, well, it might bring people to you. Sometimes I don't even understand how festivals could even make a profit or break even <laughs> over a number of years, you know? And yeah. probably there's loads of them that aren't as well. And I know that's the thing, but like, you know, yeah, it is It is that one. Like, it's sometimes it's great because, you know, you're introducing yourself to a new audience as well, but also you want to be playing to people who actually want to see you as well. So, yeah, know. it's a different experience. That's the other thing. It's yeah. just like, you know, you're attracting a broader audience who, you know, they're there more for the experience of a festival. Yeah. You know, it's a more of an experiential thing. Whereas, you know, if you're going to this specific, specifically for my show, yeah, um, you're going to be a lot more engaged and it's going to be a more intimate thoughtful engagement with uh, my music. Yeah. And when you shared um, those numbers as well last year or earlier uh, about your tour, um, so you did a 12-day US tour, right? So that's what it was. Yeah. And mm -hmm. have you seen, I hadn't seen much of that. I hadn't seen much people like sharing. I think maybe because you were um, kind of doing everything yourself, you were fully aware of it. I've definitely seen bands um you know, there's bands here called New Pagans who were giving out about, first of all, the merch stuff, but also the cost of touring in the UK uh, when they're doing support acts, support bands, mm -hmm. uh, roles. And but you you did a tour, a 12-day tour, where you paid for everything, you did everything yourself, you sold your merch, you did it solo without a crew, you tour managed all the dates, you did press, you paid for transport, food and travel, social media marketing, whatever it was. Uh, expenses of this were $21,000. Uh, dollars and then after a booking agent and you had tour support as well presumably from the government yeah i did yeah i did i had a i had um a grant yeah so you made a loss still after all that and that's just like it must be very disheartening to to realize that yeah it it, it is but in the moment i wasn't really that bummed about it because <laughs> i felt like i had made a pretty good impact even on that tour like you know, I'd, I'd made some new fans for sure, you know, and, and America is always going to be kind of hard to play in. And so that was like a post pandemic tour, you know, just, yeah, you know, it, it felt productive, even though I did lose money on it. But I think the reason why you don't see as many people talking about that kind of thing is it's become kind of taboo to talk about your finances in the music industry. People are, you know, they don't want it. They find it embarrassing to admit, oh, I lost, you know, $2,000 or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, in the long run, it's important for people to understand what's happening behind the scenes for these tours. You know, it's not it, you know, a lot of people see touring is like, yeah, it's just like sex, drugs and rock and roll. You're all having a lot of fun. You know, you, you're you're happy to be doing it because you get to just play music all the time. And it's like yeah. this easy, great experience. But actually, actually, it's super expensive. Logistically, it's hell. And emotionally, it's really intense. You know, the poor diet and just everything you're going through on the road, like, you know, play one a show in Chicago and you're driving to Cleveland the next day. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, hours and hours of driving and, you know, sleeping in bad conditions, you know, the whole thing is, it's gnarly. Yeah. I mean, that romanticism, I think is gone for, for most people. Um, and I think a lot of people more are, are really understanding that now, like understanding the, that it's not the easy, 
um, cool rock and roll experience that people maybe have been, it, that has been glamorized over the years, yet it's much more, this is a job. This is, these are your working conditions. You know, these are, you you can do a tour where you you drive for 15 hours and then you still have to get up on stage. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> that seems difficult. It's, it's deadly, man. Yeah, it's deadly. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the tour last year came after the Polaris win and it must have been, I mean, it was, must be nice to get out at least on the stages, like to play those shows themselves. Like how you found uh, live shows and uh, the live, what are your conversations like with people and your, your peers and uh, uh, fellow artists at the moment? Uh, everyone is a little stressed out, scared, um, frightened of the future. Um, there's just a lot, it's a very unstable, unpredictable time to be a musician. You know, it used to be, you could rely on certain income, you know, that people are going to be able to buy records and stuff. Now with inflation, just everyone has less money, especially less disposable income. So less people buying tickets, less people buying your record. Um, it's just a really weird time and there's a lot of anxiety that would that would be the feeling i would say for most people like mm-hmm. i you know as much as I'm, i've been talking about this stuff publicly you know i personally am doing fine like um yeah. you know obviously i, I wrote a book like I've, I've got other things going on you know where i don't hugely rely on shows but for me it's um it's it's just something where i'm trying to support like younger artists and people who have, you know, maybe not even had the opportunity to ever go on a regular tour before because, you know, they they came all of age during the pandemic. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you as, as well, I mean, you've been doing this for a long enough and so you have that experience. And one of those experiences was also, uh, I mean, despite having a very negative deal that you've talked about in the past, the 360 deal. And can you t- talk a little bit about that with me just in terms of like, uh, if you were, I mean, obviously you've given people advice before, but just if you were to ta- tell people what exactly to avoid out of your own experience from that, the 360 deal obviously takes a lot of uh, your revenue from others, uh, from from all aspects of what you do. And But the thing I think maybe people don't realise is that how damaging that can be, because you talked about how you basically didn't earn anything from from that. Yeah, you know, I'm, I was just in a really bad situation with a an indie label that was really predatory, where they managed me and they also put out my records and they also were my publisher. And as a result, you know, they controlled the means of production for everything and they controlled all the money that would come in. So I'd get money for a show and I would never know what happened with it. And mm-hmm. it would be suggested that it was going to pay off like the debt for making my album, which typically these albums I made myself in my bedroom. And the only thing to pay for is mixing and mastering. So it's not going to be that expensive, but yeah. Yeah, it was just a really bad situation. And the number one thing I would tell people is, you know, build up as much as you can on your own and just maintain control uh, as much as you can, like maintain control of your masters, you know, maintain control of, you know, every aspect of your artistry that you can, because that's something that, you know, when you lose it, you spend a long part of your career trying to get it back. Yeah, I've heard you know, many stories of people who got stuck in bad deals and then, you know, it nearly, like you mentioned, it nearly, like you used to stop for a number of years. You know, it does affect people in that way where you're just like, well, I don't want to be involved in this business aspect of music and then it affects your actual creativity as well. So you end up then really not doing much because of a bad situation. Um, Well, I mean, the funny thing is, you know, I was making a lot of music. It just wasn't coming out. Yeah. You know, because I just didn't have the infrastructure anymore. So it just took a long time to get all that infrastructure built up. Like, you know, the label I was on who also managed me, they just ghosted me. So it was just a thing where, oh yeah, my whole infrastructure is gone. I don't have a booking agent. I don't have PR. I don't have a label. So I just kind of had to start from scratch and do it all myself. And that just took a few years to really build up. Yeah. yeah. Um, But once I got that back going, um, I realized, you know, it was a bad situation, but I, I'm really actually glad I went through it. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I feel like it really showed what I was capable of as an artist, you know, and I'm capable of way more than I thought I was. Yeah, that's a good thing to know about yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you're the uh, Atkinson artist. Can you tell people what that is and maybe share a little bit about your role and 
and what the organization does. Yeah, for sure. So the Atkinson Foundation, they are a nonprofit um, in Canada that focuses on, you know, the decent work movement and workers' rights. And the Atkinson Artist Program is basically a fellowship um, where I'm the first person to do it. And they're basically supporting, you know, some of my artistic endeavors, but also some initiatives that I have in mind. And I think the first thing really is this, my merch campaign that I've started, you know, it's something that I talked to them about before I, 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 you know, ran with it. And I think it's in line with a lot of their principles, you know, just, you know, I'm just thinking of different ways to do music industry reform. You know, that's my thing. I'm just thinking big picture and how can I, you know, change things in North America and the world and Canada. And, you know, it's a very open-ended relationship, but it's definitely founded in specifically the principle of decent work. So, I mean, something that you've talked about a bit is a community as well, like the kind of the power of community. And one thing that struck me was the talking about like, uh, local libraries and things like that as well and how they can be places for uh, not only knowledge exchange but like um, places in which we can you know utilize uh, as event spaces as well for mm. here in Ireland like we're we're now looking at changing licensing laws for the first time since 1935 or something so wow serious like reform coming next year which means longer opening hours but also things like our laws are very much tied to uh, alcohol licensing. So event mm-hmm. and dance licensing is very much tied to that. So we're finally looking at modernizing and extracting um, our our event spaces and our event licensing from, from alcohol licensing. Uh, do you see um, similar challenges where you are in terms of like we've obviously lost a lot of venues. So tell me specifically what we've lost uh, in the last number of years is Uh, venues for electronic music and Mm. that's been very tough and we've you know we've have we've done a lot of work here in the last four or five years and even longer to kind of show the government how important it is to give spaces for those communities so the Mm -hmm. idea now that the nighttime economy because that's what we call it now because that's a, a an exchange of of a transaction they can understand that is something they can understand that the nightlife um, has financial value creative value and community value you know do you see anything like that happening around you in terms of positives i like to finish on positives and talk about reasons <laughs> to be cheerful you know yeah no i feel you um i feel like Actually, interestingly, here in Canada, we really look up to you guys in Ireland and and in England and stuff. Like you guys have a much stronger music culture that's just inherently a part of your culture. Whereas in Canada, it's a bit of an afterthought, and it feels like we're always playing catch up. Even though you know we have like really good grant system and yeah, that's and, the number one thing that we all know about Canada is like the grant system yeah. is good. You know, but it it has problems though because it it kind of it ends up going to a lot of mediocrity and it, and it enforces mediocrity. I'm sure, you know, it's like how when you have government sponsored media, you know, like BBC or like CBC, um, usually it is middle of the road stuff that gets promoted. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think that is really a cool idea, like the whole library thing, like just really using space in a different way. I think now in places like Toronto and like where in Hamilton, where I live, you know, we need that more than ever. We lost a lot of mid-sized venues, a lot of DIY venues over the pandemic. And I'm really looking forward to just creative ideas and, you know, thinking outside of the box. And also personally, I'm interested in places that are not focused on alcohol sales. Yeah. yeah. Because I think what happens is the landlords of some of these venues they want to see a place that is bringing in money so they're able to raise the rent eventually. Yeah. Um, and if a place is, you know, not selling alcohol and the focus is just on community and just uh, creativity, um, it's not as desirable to some of these landlords and stuff. So mm. that's my, my, my thoughts for the future is more DIY yeah. spaces maybe that are just uh, divorced from, from that side of the industry. Yeah, nice. And how's the music making going for you at the moment? Are you are you working on things? 
I am. Yeah. I'm actually pretty far into another album. Right Great. Now. Like, um, earlier this year I was in LA for a couple months recording and yeah, I'm, I would say I'm nearly done another album. It's going to come out next year for sure. Right. Um, um I'm excited about it. It's, a, it's about, uh, social media. Okay. And technology. It's all about some of which you touched on on, on parallel world as well. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. I feel like Great. where, where it ends off is really where, where the next album goes. Okay. Nice. Nice. Cool. Rolly, well, thanks for talking to me and uh, really appreciate it. And uh, always good to chat. Nice one. Yeah. Thanks for having Cheers. me. It's a nice one. Better not violate. I shine in the storm. Cut your lights off. I storm like 98. I am the catalyst. Peep game like analyst. Don't send a sub at me. I might go stick your battle shit. Life during wartime. They just want more lights. No time for games, so I don't play Fortnite. No 2K, but I'll cook your ass in real life. Shoot from the elbow. Mid-range. Feel like I won't miss. He check. Might just shoot from the hip. When you see me, don't trip. One thou like Kilo. Master my sound, Pino Paladino. Shut your block down right now like Nino. Say what I feel, keep it real like Lido. Montreal Ray got me feeling like Gino. Fam, get paid, got me feeling like Tito. Jackson. Hit the target like Rico. Cut a sit off, Vito. Okay, thanks to Roly uh, Pemberton, aka Cadence Weapon. As I said, that guy has been very busy the last couple of years. Um, he is a rapper and an author. He won the 2021 Polaris Prize for his fifth album, Parallel World, a great album we talked about here as well previously. Um, and he has a memoir out, a book called uh, Bedroom Rapper, which you can currently only get in the US and Canada, and uh, hopefully looking to get my hands on that soon. And uh, yeah, just a really interesting guy, uh, uh, an advocate for his fellow um, creatives and workers and uh, uh, a good guy to have around, I think. So uh, fair play to Roly. Um, I think one of the things that I'd love to see come out of this is a um, an Irish equivalent uh, list of venues which don't take. And it really is just like Roly said as well. So, so bands know, bands are aware, have the mm-hmm. information in advance that they, they're booking a tour like well i don't want to play that venue because they're going to take 25 percent of my merch or because they're not on the list um and here's a list of venues that don't take and i think you know just looking at um the ones that have even that i'm aware of i i don't i don't i don't really want to get into listing out venues that do and don't do it because i'm gonna inevitably miss some and um but i think i'd love to see more of that uh a big list so maybe that's something we should look okay. at and uh might have a look ask around and if there's anybody there's who is way of doing like this. with a venue who wants to chat to us about this whether you do it or you don't do it or or whatever we'd we'd be happy to chat yeah i did ask a few people and i guess you know the the um the difficulty is no one really wants to you know, um, speak ill of uh, the people that they work with yeah. in any way. And it's not about speaking ill. It's just about, look, finding a different way of um, talking about this issue and highlighting this issue. And now, hopefully, listeners of this podcast can tell their pals um, that that's what happens and people be more yeah. aware of that. And that's really the point. That's really the point. We just want people to be yeah. armed with the information. Maybe, maybe the next time you're happening. buying merch, ask the person who's selling you merch what they know about it. Yeah, that's a good idea, you know, and you'll know, you could pro- probably know from the venue itself and the prices mm. and all that kind of stuff, whether if the artist is selling it directly, there's probably a good chance that they're, um, you know, that they aren't, the, the venue isn't yeah. taking a commission. But I think um, when an artist is selling their uh, merch directly, uh, uh, it's a, it's always a good sign, I think. it's But you can always ask, and I think it's worth asking, um, it's something I'm sure artists don't mind being asked about because no one ever asks them about it. And also... Um. Yeah, it's just you always have the option as well. If you if you want to support artists directly, and you're unsure if you want to do it at a gig, um, you always have the option to wait for Bankab Fridays, which happen once a month, I believe. They're yeah. very very often, and you can buy merch. Um, directly from the artists on Bankab. That's you know LPs, T-shirts. 
yeah. tote bags, and look, mugs, we're coming towards the end of the have. year now. It's a perfect time to be picking up some uh, some, some merch. Christmas and presents. actually, the merchy Christmas mm-hmm. will be back in the Grand Social um, in December as well. Um, mm-hmm. I believe and um, pending well let's say it's, it's definitely coming back I'm not sure it's the exact same venue but I'm, I hear it's coming back um, and that's going to happen okay. um, that's the best way to give money to uh, so you're all making your lists and uh, Spotify is going to give you your wrapped and all that kind of stuff so have a think about maybe you know if you haven't selling um, buying some of those records if you haven't yet I'm sure you, people who listen to this mm-hmm. podcast are, are well on that as well but I'm trying to be a bit more conscious about it as well uh, of yeah. spreading that around a bit more and uh where possible and uh yeah so like that's the best way to do it um definitely give money to the artists directly where possible so yeah we all know that's a good thing so we um our next uh few well basically towards the end of the year Andre, do you know what's happening next week <gasps> what's what is it it's the best it's 2022 time, time. Oh, next week okay so what's next week's one then what what, what do we do first we do songs and albums and awards isn't it Ooh, it's gonna be tough it's gonna be tough i think i think that's what it is so maybe next week is songs Ugh. i am okay. nowhere near ready for that no we're near harry asked me last night because we were talking about spotify wrapped coming up yeah and he was like oh do you know what your songs of the year is and i was like i couldn't even name a song that came out this year at this I, point that was actually what i've been doing this week is just looking at the albums that came yeah. out this week i've now like made... the cmat album came out this year yeah do you know what i mean not not five years ago well so, i'll tell you you know there's what's what's like going to be theme. upsetting for me is that um i'm currently making a list of irish albums um that i've listened to and enjoyed and mm. i had to stop at one point well i had to not stop, but I'm. I like usually I do twenty five or thirty a year in the final list. I have a list mm. of hundred albums that I heard this year. That wow, I, and a lot of them I really like. I think should be somewhere are are worth noting. Yeah. yes, notable art, notable albums, and I'm like, there's no mm. way I'm going to be able to fit uh, all those in here. So I don't know what I'm going to do. So mm. that's my that's my dilemma at the moment. How I'm going to best represent my taste, but also yeah. like you know, uh, also next weekend is other voices in dingle are you djing i am next friday night in mccarty's oh mccarty's is that the place where you were last year no this is um well last year was different because uh, it was only two or three venues so we're back to normal Mm. now this year um so so this is my first normal other voices so last year was my first there's like 16 different venues all happening at once now again and it'll be great so second friday the second december i'll be playing uh friday late friday night uh, in McCarthy's, um, hasn't been announced yet, so shh, don't tell anyone. But um, it mm. is a great place. That's I'll kind there, of like I'll this indoor outdoor yard thing. It's fucking tiny, and it's brilliant, mm. and it's one of the best. It's where myself and Keen O'Quivan play at that time. Uh, <laughs> and there's a good video of me playing ABBA and some uh, one of the lads from uh, was it Thumper? I can't remember what band he's in. Um, suddenly, uh. Uh, rising like a phoenix from the flames with his top <laughs> off to uh, as soon as uh, Lay On Your Love On Me comes on. So fabulous. Uh, it's a special place, Dingle. So I'm looking forward to getting back there. And I we're going to have a good time. Yeah. And my my pal who I'm staying with um, has, a, has a dog now. So. Oh, bringing the dog it, to Dingle. It, well, um, no, he, he lives down there. Oh, right. Um, shout out to Richard. Hello, Richard. He lives down there and, and there, there may be a dog there. So right. it, I reckon it'll be a miracle if I get to any of the gigs and not just hang out with the dog for the weekend. So, right. um, but yeah, I can't wait. Okay. Really excited. Well, look, if you like what we do, it's patreon.com forward slash nine or nine. Should always say that way earlier than I do, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Thanks, Andrea. We'll talk next Thanks, week for Niall. the big for the big flexing of our 2022 best of muscles. Oh God! Okay. okay. Bye. Bye.
Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.